You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we work to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear the good news about the person and work of Jesus and as we scatter to share it. We hope that you enjoy. There's not an easy way of saying this. You will not commit adultery. Wade, you say, I'm so pious and I'm so holy that I'm not even sure what that word means. <laughs> I see. I see. You're trying to get me embarrassed now. You're going to make the pastor spell it out for you, and so I will. If we were to consult a dictionary, it would say that adultery is voluntary, that is something by your choice, voluntary sexual intercourse between a married person and a person who is not their spouse. Now, according to Scripture, this is true. And yet, it's not really the full picture of what this commandment is trying to put forward to us. There's questions that we could ask. What about two unmarried people? Well, there's other special words for that in Scripture. What about two people that live together part-time but are planning on getting married and they just haven't done it yet? What about two people in a marriage that have decided that it's okay to date and have sex with other people? What about pornography? What about two men that have sex? What about two women? What about family? And that sounds weird, and that's because the Bible gets weird. What about the family pet? And sometimes the Bible gets weirder. What about the person that, that did not want to, but they just found themselves in the wrong place at the wrong time, and it just kind of happened? And what about those people that are sex is stolen from them? Victims of, of rape or incest? Or what about the fact that I needed security? Financial and personal safety were missing, and it was just a transaction. And what about abandonment? Physical abandonment or psychological or whatever the case may be. Now, this word, we've called this series Ten Words, right? God's, God's words for God's people. And here's been the big idea. In these ten words, God has called us to Himself, to our neighbor, and to show us our need for a Redeemer. And today, here's our big idea. Jesus gave His life for you to make you a part of His body and bride. Jesus gave His life for you to make you a part of His body and His bride. So does this one word, you will not commit adultery, really cover all of this sin? Christian, our God is not a God of gaps, a God of in-between spaces. He's not a God of loopholes. God does not give a command, but allow you to walk around it and slip through the cracks. 
He is not a God who overlooks your sin. And you can thank Him for that. Why? Well, we'll come to that later. See, our God gives attention to every detail. He cares about the pits of sin that we jump into. He is love. And He is justice. He is grace and He is also righteousness. That is complete rightness. He is mercy. And yet, He has made you in His image and has set a standard that He demands you live by. For God's first people, Israel, and for us today, God has not only made you in His image, but He also saved you from slavery. What does He say at the beginning of the Ten Commandments? I am the Lord your God who rescued you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He wants them to know not just that they are free, but you know what? Here are ten words to help you live free. Don't run back into slavery. He has rescued you out of the house of slavery. He has rescued you from being dragged to hell and despair by the desires and actions that you have chained yourself to. So according to Scripture, that definition is a true definition. But it's not the whole picture. If we wanted to truly understand what is meant in this simple commandment, you will not commit adultery, we would need to take the entire teaching of Scripture about sexuality and sexual sin into account. And if we were to do that, we would be here until next Sunday. So let's, just for now, go back to the beginning and try to make a quick and understandable work of this command. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, Everything that has breath of life, I have given you every green plant for food. And so it was. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Adding on to that in Genesis chapter 2, the author says this, Therefore, 
A man shall leave his mother and father and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Full stop. When we read this, we see the framework, the bones, the structure that the rest of the Bible feeds from. This is marriage. This is the place where sex is to happen and our sexual lives are to be lived. This seems old. It seems quaint. It may seem simple-minded. Or at least too simplistic for these complex and confusing times that we live in. Wait, what about birth control? That made things a little bit different. What about the outrageous number of people that I know that have gotten a divorce just in the last year? What about the differences between a church marriage and a government marriage and a cultural marriage? What about pornography? What about the freedom that we all now have sexually that generations before us didn't have? What about the fact that people don't even really know what their genders are anymore? How can such a simple directive... (laughs) There's weeping and gnashing of teeth over this sermon. Okay. How can such a simple directive about marriage truly be a guide to us in these times? Look, we must remember that these ten words are a summary of God's law. In fact, these ten words... uh, were the words that God gave to Moses to summarize God's law. To summarize His character and what He desires to see in us. He also gave Moses another way in Deuteronomy to summarize these laws. That we would love God and that we would love our neighbor. Jesus, Paul, all echo this. Which is why Paul is able to say that we should live according to the law of love. But, that does not mean that we get rid of all the ways that God gave us to define what love looks like. In Deuteronomy chapter 21-23, through 23, we kind of see an explanation of this commandment, you will not commit adultery. And we see a whole slew of sins that Moses had to guide his people through and that our world still carries with it today. Forced marriage and sexual slavery are addressed. Interestingly enough, polygamy, although not forbid, is not readily accepted by God. And polygamy has strong restrictions placed upon it. That is marrying multiple people. One of the primary rules that Moses gives is, look, if you're you're going to choose that path, then you're not able to show favoritism. 
You have to take responsibility for all that you have claimed and cleaved yourself to. Also, we see that Moses says that men are not to dress like women and women are not to dress like men for the purpose of fooling others or fooling themselves. We also read that you cannot marry someone just to take advantage of them financially or sexually or any other way. You also cannot steal someone else's fiancé. Also, Moses says that if you have sex before marriage and that person is not married, then you're paying the labola. You cannot steal your father's wife, which could mean a couple things. In Corinthians, it means one thing. Here, it probably means that there are certain men that are marrying all of the women and not leaving any women for the younger men. But throughout the whole Bible, even though some of these sins change and the application is adjusted to fit the context, the standard of where sex is supposed to take place never changes. The writer of Hebrews ties all these types of sins together. He ties together all sexual sin and gives us the opposite of sexual sin along with the promise of a consequence that's built into all of God's law. In Hebrews 13.4 we read this, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. We'll come back to that passage in just a little bit. The book of Proverbs has a lot to offer us here. Um, in Proverbs chapter 5, we read this, Drink water from your own cistern. <laughs> this is speaking to young men. Although it's transferable to young women as well. That's saying, don't go to other wells to dip in. <laughs> Stick with your wife. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? That is to say, if you have a water source, you're not going to go out and dump it out in the road. Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with forbidden women and embrace the bosom of an, of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. Shackles. He dies for lack of discipline. Elsewhere, we see what the temptation of this sin looks like, expressed in very vivid picture. Proverbs 6, starting verse 20, says this, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. We hear that repeated over and over. 
Bind them on your heart always and tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life to preserve you from eat from... Now, granted, it says here the evil woman. Why is that? Are women evil? Oh, I knew it. No, no, why? Because in Proverbs here at the beginning, even though this was specifically written to young men, the words were to be transferred to also be read to young women. And here's the deal. What, here's what's going on. In this passage and throughout the first nine chapters... Wisdom is pictured as an honorable and faithful woman. And foolishness and death is pictured as a, an adulterous woman. And so this is the woman that's being spoke of right here. Although that good woman is also spoken of. To preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart. And do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. Elsewhere we read in Proverbs, keep your heart. Keep your heart. And this is what this proverb is saying to us. Job said it another way when he was being told to confess his sin. He says, I made a covenant with my eyes that I would not look at that woman. That I would not lustfully look at any woman. Keep your heart. For the place of a prostitute, the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread. That is, it, it's like air, it disappears. But a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? What the, the teacher here is doing in Proverbs is he's, he's listing out essentially all the excuses that we use for this sin. When we say, ah, this is just a small thing, it's not going to affect me. I can keep these two parts of my life over here and over here. My physical life, that's going to be outside. My spiritual life, that's going to be good and pure and holy inside. My home life's going to be here, and my outside of home life's going to be over there. And never the two will meet. To which the teacher in Proverbs is saying, they're going to meet. You will be burned. So is he who goes, to his, goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. Interestingly enough here, so often this commandment is read simply as the act of adultery. And yet even the act of touching here is the act of adultery. Skipping ahead a little bit. He who commits adultery lacks sense. Essentially, it's never a good idea. He will get wounds and dishonor and his disgrace will not be wiped away. What the, pro the teacher is saying in Proverbs is you will never be the whole person again that God made you to be. Because you will constantly be separating this sinful part of your life with this other part of daily life. We could go on and on. 
Continuing into Proverbs 7, the teacher says, don't be simple-minded. And then at the end of chapter 7, we read this. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside from her ways and do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol going down to the chambers of death. Adultery is the quick way to death, we read in Proverbs. Throughout the Old Testament, God paints for us a picture of himself being a husband and his wife is Israel. And Israel has been unfaithful. Not only unfaithful, um, but also Israel has treated him as though he were unworthy of love and respect and trust. Not only unfaithful, but Israel has treated him like he is not enough. So much so that Israel chased after God's and paid those gods in sacrifice and worked for those gods. And what they did was they prostituted themselves, except for, you know what Ezekiel tells us, they were so ignorant that they prostituted themselves, but they themselves paid to sell their own bodies. They didn't even take payment for it. They turned away from God and gave up everything they had and asked for nothing in return. As one author put it, they were always trying to turn the Garden of Eden into a brothel. And up until Ezekiel chapter 23, the prophet says, they were worn out by adultery. In the crudest terms possible, they became a used-up prostitute with nothing left to give that was no use to anyone at all. The book, the book of Hosea in your Bible is the most clear picture of this that God gave, written about 800 years before Jesus came. It is the story that God, it is in this story that God told the prophet Hosea to marry a prostitute who kept running away and going back to her, own, her old life and disgracing her new husband. And then in the second half of the book, it sounds like a, just an awful story. This is an awful wife. This is a stupid man. Hosea is told to go and speak to Israel and tell them that this is the picture of their relationship to their God, who married himself to them, who claimed them and saved them, who said, I have rescued you, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. Things were so bad that it seemed that the final word of all the prophets would be the final word, period. The words of Malachi, which are simply utter destruction. that things were so broken that the, the one flesh design of marriage was so distorted 
and, and, and broken. The city of Jerusalem was on fire. The temple was destroyed. The people were not just living a life of slavery, but they were actually back out in slavery. The marriage seemed over. It seemed like God's promises actually were defeated by the stubbornness and the, and the adulterous ways of man. It seemed as though utter destruction were God's words, His final words to His people. But we all know that that's not true. We all know that God did not settle for those to be His last words. But instead, in the, midst of, in the midst of our adultery, he paid a price in blood to save adulterous people. Jesus gave his life for you and made you a part of his body and his bride. In Ephesians chapter 5, we read this, Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Going into the New Testament, we have Jesus who comes to his people and says, there's a time coming and it has now come for you to repent and believe. You broke the marriage vows, but they are not completely shattered. I'm here to correct that. I'm here to fix that. And when Jesus gave himself up for the church, he, just, he did just that. He gave himself up for you and for me to save us from our slavery to ourselves and our desires. Throughout the entirety of the New Testament, we continue to see this idea of adultery, adultery being condemned. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, this is 1 Corinthians 6, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. 
But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but, sexual immor- but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We remember Jesus' words too in teaching this. You have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone that looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better to lose one of your members than to lose the whole, than that, that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Or Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 again. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolater, or the adulterer, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Wait a second. There's freedom from this. Such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the Spirit of our God, Christian, you have been set free. God's law is here to remind you how to live freely. The Apostle Paul sums it up in Romans 13. Owe nothing to anyone except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling law. Christian, for you and for me that know our sin, we know our sin by knowing God's Word, by hearing it, by understanding that we stand before it as a mirror and it condemns us. We stand before it knowing that we need a Redeemer. If this morning I've not said something 
that convicts you or condemns you. I would say that I have failed at doing my job. Or as John would say, that person is a liar who says they have no sin. And yet, we got to hear the good news too. Because God's law is only ever going to condemn us. It can point us to Christ, but it's not Christ. It can point us to our salvation, but it doesn't do anything to save us. Also, if I've said anything to you that is offensive, if there are ways that you have not only sinned, but you have been sinned against, I want you to know that God does not look at you and condemn you for the ways that you have been sinned against. For someone that has stolen sex from you, forced you to commit adultery, that is not your sin. And yet it is someone's sin that weighs heavy on your life. And I'm sorry for that. For any of you that have ever been promised something and been abandoned, that sin does not stand against you. And yet I know that it weighs you down and makes you heavy. The passage that we read this morning that Derek read for us in 2 Corinthians Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us we plead on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God For each of us here this morning, whether you know Christ or you don't, all of these words this morning have been read and shared so that you would be reconciled to God. How can that be possible? I'm fairly certain that my sins are too great. I'm fairly certain that here today, if I were to actually say what my problem was, I'd get kicked out of the room. That's the beauty of the forgiveness that we have in Christ. That instead of being enslaved to our sin and the sins that those that other people have committed against us, we are instead freed to be honest about our sin and to give it to Christ. What is he going to do with it? He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in Him we would become the righteousness of God. Christian, this morning, you don't need to come to God with any righteousness of your own. He has come to you in the person and work of Jesus and he has given you all of his. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ 
and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.